0: ABC Listen, podcasts, radio, news, music, and more. This next conversation will contain references to sexual assault. In the words of a North Korean worker in China, if you show even the slightest attitude, they will treat you like an insect. The worker was one of more than 100,000 people sent to the country's factories. Some of them are kept in conditions of near-slave labour, enduring beatings and sexual abuse, and they're told that if they try to escape, they face death. Ian Urbina is a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter and the director of the journalism non-profit organisation The Outlaw Ocean Project and joins us this morning. Ian, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: How do 100,000 or more North Koreans end up working in China?
1: This is a grand state-to-state collaboration between the North Korean government and the Chinese government. It's obviously especially noteworthy since there are UN sanctions that forbid North Korean workers from being sent to other countries and used, and China signed those sanctions. Um, But because there's not a huge amount of enforcement, it's a fairly systematized relationship, and most of them sort of are sent across the border into China, uh, you know, buses, planes, trains and largely work in a couple of big industries, construction, tech, textiles, and seafood, as it turns out.
0: So tell us about the conditions for these workers.
1: Well, they were much worse um, in the recent years because of COVID, but uh, typically these are in the seafood industry, which we focused on. Um, These are women, usually under 35 years old. They're fairly sought after jobs by the women in North Korea because you can earn much better than you could ever earn in, in North Korea. Um, typically, they sign two-year contracts. Uh, there's a lot of vetting by the North Korean government to make sure that you don't, you're not someone that might have a risk of defecting. They send them across, and then they're in lockdown c- compounds, big factory complexes. You know, they typically work 15, 20 hours a day. Um, they can't leave the facility, can't talk to anyone outside the facility, uh, and there's a real problem of sexual abuse and violence.
0: So, who benefits from this arrangement? Us, you
1: know, the West, um, uh, all consumers of seafood that are getting uh, seafood cheaper and faster um, through a globalized economy. Seafood is pretty distinct from, you know, soccer balls or tennis shoes or iPhones, uh, in that their supply the supply chain that delivers that product to our plates uh, is longer, more tangled, more opaque. Um, but we, the Western consumers, benefit from uh, the cheap um, product that gets to us um, impossibly quickly and impossibly cheaply.
0: And what role are Chinese authorities playing in this industry?
1: Well, you, you know, you don't um, uh, a huge role. You you don't get in. You know, a transfer from North Korea to China unless um, there's government oversight and agencies that are orchestrating the whole thing. Um, these factories are all based in China, uh, the ones that we looked at, uh, and so they typically have Chinese owners and Chinese managers, uh, but the day-to-day workings of the of the process, the, the sort of floor managers and the workers themselves are all North Korean, and the Chinese government and the Chinese owners um, make um, a slice of the profits from the plants.
0: Obviously, uh, you know, you mentioned UN sanctions, a lack of enforcement. So it brings me to how you got access. How did you come to speak to these workers?
1: You know, It was fairly intricate um, infrastructure we had to set up so as to interview them. The goal was to interview North Korean workers either who are still in China or who have recently returned to North Korea Many of these workers were stranded in China when the border closed with COVID, so these are women that expected to be abroad for two years ended up being abroad for four. Um, we were able to interview them by essentially layers of of colleagues in China, South Korea, and in North Korea that we set up whereby we identified three dozen uh, women who uh, presently work in the factories or recently worked in the factories, and then sort of found dis- discreet ways to meet with them. In North Korea, that was obviously very tough, but we interviewed two dozen women, um, typically in parks or open fields or in city streets where it's tougher for state security to surveil them. Very quick interactions, typically a half hour. We transmitted, you know, several dozen questions to the fir- person who was going to meet with them. That person did the interview, transcribed the answers, and then through encrypted apps, uh, uh, sent them back to us, and sort of over the course of multiple months, we accumulated enough interviews so that we would have a trustworthy data set.
0: So, should people in Australia be concerned that the food they eat or items they buy may be involved in this kind of brutality?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, yes. I mean, this is a an in industry most of the world seafood. Is either coming out of the water and pulled onto Chinese ships, or it's processed by other countries. It's it's fished by other countries and then sent to China for processing. So the the largest player when it comes to seafood is China, and that includes you know seafood that's going to Australia. Um, and so yes, unfortunately, you know all, most of the major brands in the world, be they grocery store chains or or restaurants, um, are indeed uh, getting seafood out of factories that are likely working North Korean labor.
0: China also utilises labour in factories across the country from the ethnic Uyghur minority. How are those workers treated?
1: Not great. You know, so again, the interesting thing about North Koreans and Uyghurs is as different from, say, you know, other forms of forced labour, if you or I are found in a factory and the factory turns out to have chains on the door, we're not allowed to leave, they would categorise you you and me as forced labour In the case of North Koreans and in the case of Uyghurs, these are categorical. So, in other words, um, even if these individuals say they're happy and say they're there, you know, uh, not against their will and they're being paid, because they're Uyghurs or because they're North Koreans, it's state sponsored forced labor. They're being transferred in there with no right to say no. So, the Uyghurs in the case of uh, China, we're looking at since 2019, um, several thousand Uyghurs have been transferred across the country from Xinjiang province, where they're from, to the other side of the country, Shandong province, which is a coastal province and the sort of hub of seafood. And thousands of these workers are again, you know, sent there by the Chinese government and kept in locked facilities. If the government, if the Chinese government says, goes knocking in Xinjiang and and to all young men under 30 and says, look, we've got a job for you. You need to be, you know, at this train station on this day. If you say no, then you're gonna end up in an internment camp or or one of your family will. So you don't have the right to say no. And then when you get the job and you arrive there to Shandong Province as a Uyghur, you stay at the facility and you work and again, same sort of long hours, wage theft, et cetera, same sort of captivity problems.
0: This is uh, obviously really disturbing for people listening. Uh, I often feel like we hear stories like this and people do feel quite powerless. Are we powerless to have an influence on this?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's demoralizing for sure. We all depend on a globalized economy and it's hard to know where we get our stuff and whether we're complicit. I think we all are complicit. Are we powerless? No. I mean, we all wear different hats, right? We pay taxes and we can write a letter to our lawmaker and ask them pointed questions about what they're doing about this issue. We choose what we buy and we can get on the internet and Google and see like what are brands that seem to have a better reputation and might be more locally caught and better vetted and not associated with this stuff. So we're buyers Um, You know, we're donors. We can contribute to NGOs um, that are doing good work and and we want to support to fight these things. So we're not powerless. We have ways in which all of us can play different roles to try to counter this.
0: Ian, thank you. Thanks for having me. Ian Obeena is the director of the journalism nonprofit called The Outlaw Ocean Project. His latest piece for The New Yorker is a really powerful and disturbing piece inside North Korea's forced labour program.